Welcome, you're listening to Passages, and uh, I believe this is going to be episode one, so I'm here with Tim and Jason, and uh, we thought we'd start out telling you what the name of this podcast is all about. Uh, It's not the first name we came up with. We went through quite a list of some somewhat weird names. Drew, you had a few names I had to look up in the dictionary. I'd never even heard of the word, and I think I had to go to the Greek lexicon a couple of times. Ah. Which is not that abnormal, because I do the same thing on Wednesday nights in Bible class. It does occur a lot, some some good words sometimes. Come on, guys. (laughs) Um, So we went with passages. And the reason is uh, the cornerstone of every episode is going to be a quotation. Some... Most of the quotation would probably be pretty well known to our listeners. We might explore some more obscure quotes, but these are quotes that have a lot of meaning to us personally and also have some kind of biblical significance, which is another way we're using the term passages. You know, you have Bible passages. Mm-hmm. And then also, we have been friends for a long time, and uh, we talk a lot in our personal conversations about the passage of time and life, and we're expecting that to enter into these conversations quite a bit. Oh, yeah, 22 years since we all went to dinner at Superior Grill, and uh, we outlasted. May she rest in peace. Our our friendship won over Superior Grill. That's exactly right. We are superior to the Superior Grill. There you go. Never go there on Mother's Day. Not that you can, but we made that mistake once. It Mm. took forever. Yeah. Go going anywhere on Mother's Day is usually a nightmare. Um, but that's not what we're here for. <laughs> we're here to talk about passages. So what uh, we're going to start with are just, um, we call them stories. They might come from the news. They might be personal stories. And uh, we're just going to share a few of those for a little while before we get into our quote. And uh, Jason, you want to start? I don't... Well, I think... With the idea of passages, both the passage of time and things passing on into the future, I I have a potentially really good story that is relevant. I have never eaten at this restaurant. Maybe y'all have and can give me some insight on this. But I've seen all in the news the last week or two that Lloyd's Restaurant is closing their Inverness location after 86 years of service in Birmingham. I've never been to Lloyd's. Am I missing something? Do I need to get in there before? I think it's October 15th. Is that the one on 280? Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. That's I used one. to go there with uh, Ray Marsh. Yeah. He thought it was, I mean, he, it was like the Ruth's Chris of is it, of his is life. Is it your, your basic kind of meet and two, meet and three restaurant? Yeah, meet and three. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's or basically you can get a hamburger it. Now they, or something. They built one. I think I, I thought this was interesting that they built one in in Silicaga yep. just recently, I think. Mm-hmm. And oh. that one's going to stay open, but this one's going to close. Yeah, it actually opened earlier this year, so it's okay. like they're just moving everything a little bit farther to yeah. the. I guess but that's this, the east. Yeah, but this was a landmark because I think back in the day it was out there in the middle of nowhere by itself, yep. basically, and then mm. the city grew around it. Yeah. Well, that area um, is. Lots of traffic, lots of yeah. people around there. It may have to do with how bad the food is. I, I'm just going to take a. That that's your. Take a, I think a I've chance. eaten there one time, but I do have an interesting story related to Lloyd's Restaurant. And um, a lady that used to work for, with me has passed away, um, named Melissa Bailey. 
she was on my she was a project manager on my team. Loved her. She was great. Her dad was Sheriff Mel Bailey, a Birmingham sheriff for a number of years, and there probably still is on the on the menu down at Lloyd's something called the Sheriff Special, and I think it was like. It was something enormous. It was like a pound of hamburger steak and a pound of barbecue or something like that. But, you know, I think those are the kind of meals that you can get at Lloyd's. It's yeah, just, just meat. It's, it's going to stick to your ribs, you know. Yeah. Just you need the, to take a nap. Just the afterwards. vast number of articles I've seen over the last couple of weeks about it just indicates to me, like, how important this restaurant was to this mm. area. And 86 years, that's a long run. I think it said it's the second longest continuously operated restaurant in the state of Alabama. Really? I think Bright Star was, if you yeah. want to advertise for oh, us, Bright man. Star is still number one. Bright Star is some good stuff. Yeah, but, I, so I think to your point, yeah, I think we need a road trip to 280 and let's do it one time. When, when is it closing? But I bet that place is We packed. need to make a road trip quickly because it's October 15th. 15th. Oh, we got two weeks from today. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's we might it. not want to do it Sunday for lunch. We might need to mm. sneak it in during the week or something. Yeah, I, right. I think we need to make that happen. Yeah, I like that. Then we could come back. Uh, our listeners will be on the edge of their seats wanting to know what That's we right. ate at Lloyd's. And I might Y'all have been to saying get... it wrong. There are two L's in that. <laughs> that is true. I might Lloyd's. have to get the sheriff special just to get it. You know, I mean, I would sit here and say there's no way that I could eat it. But really, I mean, there's probably there's a way. A will, <laughs> That's a will. right. I think we could figure it out. I think so. But that I, I just thought that was an interesting kind of local tie-in that oh, I yeah. saw this week. Yeah, absolutely. I've been saving one since we started talking about this. This is dated, well, it's not too terribly long ago, August 6th. Florida burglar baptizing himself at Panama City Beach Church joined by Sheriff K-9. That's the headline. Have y'all heard the story? <laughs> I think I have from you, maybe. It involves... It involves um, one of our sister congregations down in Florida. Um, I'm just going to read a few excerpts here. The baptismal pool at one Florida church appears to be having an unusual impact on visitors with an accused burglar and a search dog both ending up in the water. Investigators believe the law enforcement canine was attempting to beat the heat. However, the burglary suspect says a force held his head in the pool, resulting in him being baptized while in the church. The sheriff's office said in a news release. Uh, This happened Friday, August 4th at the Emerald Beach Church of Christ near Panama City Beach, about 120 miles east of Pensacola on the Panhandle. I've been there before. You've been there? I think so. Um, So deputies discovered the suspect from Georgia had used a center block to smash the window of the church to enter inside. A female employee was inside the church at the time and ran away. He said he could not remember what happened during various moments inside the church. He did remember, however, baptizing himself in the church's baptistry. He claimed something, and that's in quotes, was holding his head down under the water while in the pool. And then there's a, there's a video online that's pretty funny. The officers went in to investigate with the canine unit, and the dog went in, and they were looking for this guy, and the dog just ran and jumped in the pool. I wonder, if something, wonder if something held the dog under also. I don't know. Uh, you, know? you know, I think that's very possible. Now, I did some digging, and it <laughs> seems that this guy had a bit of a problem with crystal meth. Ah, that's what was holding him under. So that might <laughs> solve the mystery a little bit. But, you know, 
good thing for the Emerald Beach brethren. Uh, they have two uh, baptisms they can add to their That's statistics. Right. For That's the right. That's what year. I was going to say. We'd put that in accomplishments for 2023. That definitely counts. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and does that answer the question, do all dogs go to heaven? Mm. Well, well, that, that one, one does. That's right. That's I mean, that. That's a very interesting. There's, I, there's so many questions that pop into my mind uh, just thinking about that. Some of which I just I can't even bring up right now. But I mean, um, I, I love that this is typical. That the only person there was the secretary. Yeah, these go. church secretaries they go through. And I think she did the right so thing by if, if someone oh, threw a yeah. cinder block through the window and came into the building, I would run. Oh yeah, yep. no doubt. I'm out. Now, I'm calling as I leave, but I'm leaving. This opens up the question, can one baptize themselves? Um, apparently, he didn't listen very carefully to the article. Something he did not baptize him himself. Under. And the way that Crystal he was... Crystal Meth baptized him. Didn't, it say, didn't he say something was holding his head down? That's right. So I'm not sure that was the proper form, because you're supposed to go backwards. <laughs> Into the water. It seems like he That's was right. getting like a mafia style <laughs> head dunk where he was going down face first. Where do, where do you think that style came from, right? Over the dunk. The dunk seems to be seems like simpler, much right? more effective, right? Much less likelihood for the body to tilt and the toes to come up in the air. You yeah, know, all and that for kind of thing, a right? lot less likely to dip the waders if you're wearing waders. Oh, yeah, the scoop. It's just like yeah. the hey, infamous scoop sort of, of the bib sort of, of the. Just squat on your knees a little bit or whatever. Yeah. And I'm just going to. And back up you Right. Come. If I had invented baptism, mm-hmm. that's what we would have. Okay, squat down till your chin is on the water. One, two, three. There we go. But nobody asked me. I think we should you know. think about bringing back Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch both going down into the water. I think yeah. every time we have a baptism, you need to come out soaked head to toe. At most Just of them, well, I think he does. No, that's what that means. Well, it's what it says. At least one side <laughs> of his body's typically soaked head to toe because he is. gets the infamous dip. <laughs> yeah, the I, dip is rough. Hey, soggy I like foot. the wet sleeve. I wear the wet sleeve uh, proudly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Our brother Craig Evans always says the best sleeves are wet sleeves. I think it's what I see <laughs> whenever he posts something about a So according about a according to that article, he says he doesn't know how he ended up in the water. Is, is that right? Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, but then he says something was holding his head down under the water while he was in the yeah. pool. I think after that cinder block, everything is sort of a blur yeah. after that. Yeah. Another <laughs> little side note I was going to bring up is I read a few articles on this, and this is a Florida story. AL.com got it right. The Florida stories were saying this was a church of God. Do you all run into this a lot confusion between church of christ and church of god i've been asked you know when i get my hair cut or whatever inevitably people Mm -hmm. are going to ask me what i do and i say i'm a minister where are you a minister church of christ and sometimes people say do y'all handle snakes or you know do you speak in tongues and i'm not sure this is true of all (laughs) churches of god but i i will typically say i think you're thinking about the church of god I also think you're Christ. thinking about a church I don't attend, because mm-hmm. if we were handling snakes, old T lays out of here. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, I don't, you're a cessationist unless, on that. Yeah, unless handling it means hoeing its head off. Because <laughs> that's what I do with a snake. <laughs> that's why God made snakes. That's right, for me to knock the head off of them. Target um, practice. <laughs> oh, man. That, that's a good one. Uh, I like that yeah. one. The uh, Emerald Beach. All right, we ready for another one? Yeah. Yeah. All right. This one is, uh, I guess if I could give it a title, it would be Flinging Flamingos. So um, this was from about three or four weeks ago, and Hurricane Idalia came through the southeast. I think it it hit up in Florida and then went maybe up up the northeast, uh, up on the coast. But it says that flamingos have been popping up in the most unusual of places since Hurricane Idalia blew through parts of the U.S. southeast last week. And so they've had sightings, it says dozens of sightings from Texas to Florida as far north as Pennsylvania and most states in between. And they're saying that likely the birds got caught up in the hurricane or possibly even in the eye of the hurricane and just flung them all over the place and so they wow. they had a they said bird watchers went nuts once they heard that this was sort of a possibility and they found some in ohio and that was the northernmost point until pennsylvania and you know the the whole point was you know they're they're probably just the way they got there sort of questionable right mm-hmm. but they said that there'd been recent storms like this and the birds would probably hang around for a little while and then they would start a migration back but the get the best guess is that they were picked up in the storm on the yucatan peninsula and taken in that storm Whoa. all the way as far as pennsylvania you know who else i bet was really excited outside of bird watchers bird hunters oh yeah can Somebody's you imagine i bagged a pink flamingo <laughs> oh, somebody shot one. Yeah. Oh, flamingos no are always yeah. in season oh right? that's I, that would be spectacular <laughs> there's no season in pennsylvania i think i'll take it yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah that was weirdest a- looking goose i've ever seen yeah so um <laughs> sort standing of, on one leg because they said that apparently the you know, you think about flamingos in Florida, and I think about pictures you see. You know, yeah, are they saltwater? Well, apparently, um, it, the flamingo population in, in Florida has been hunted down or oh, whatever. Of it says yeah, that, I'm sure they're in danger. Yeah, it and, says uh, that they make up a, only one percent of the global flamingo population, and so that's why they were saying probably they were picked up. Uh, on the Yucatan Peninsula still has a, a bunch of those there. So, anyhow. Those great environmentalists in Yucatan are protecting the birds. That's right. It's always, it, it, it always makes me wonder, you know, why do you think a flamingo always stands on one leg? Oh, no. Oh, no. Here we go. Dad why? joke. Well, if he picks the other one up, he falls over. Uh this dad joke a, brought to you by Leeds Family Eye Care. That <laughs> <laughs> was a grandfather Welburn joke. Machine going for yeah. the <laughs> trap set. Yeah. All right, that's mine. Uh, so right. we've done the first round. I've heard yeah. of it raining cats and dogs, but raining flamingos would be kind of an interesting thing during a storm. We've got to take a break uh, in which we will talk to Jason about his jokes, and then we'll be right back with a few more stories. 
All right, we're back. Uh, Jason, what you got for us next? Okay, so... What's going on? I went really local with my last story. This All story, right. I'm bringing it uh, from an international scene. This one's coming out of Copenhagen, Denmark. Not the can that we carry in our back pocket, but um, the city in a, in a small country, right. Denmark. That's a, so, that's a pitch pipe. That's I don't, not Copenhagen. I don't know if y'all have, <laughs> have seen this or not. So there's a Danish artist that was given... Uh, a sum of money by a museum to create a piece for its exhibition on labor conditions two years ago. Um, they had commissioned him to recreate two of his earliest pieces or earlier pieces, which featured banknotes attached to canvases representing the average annual wage in Denmark and Austria. Well, this time he really went above and beyond in his work and submitted uh, two completely blank canvases titled Take the Money and Run when they they paid him money. So mm-hmm. a court here in Denmark has ruled last week that this artist, which we'll leave his name out, uh, because you in case he hears this, it, hurt, I really it, it would hurt his feelings yeah. if he's listened to our podcast. Had to repay 492,549 kroner, which if you don't know which what like a kroner is, it's $69,894 to the museum for having violated his contract. Um, and he's appealing this, saying that what he turned in, uh, which was two completely blank, white, empty yeah. canvases... It's um, art. It is. Said it was the, his interpretation. He mm-hmm. said that it was art, and yeah. it, it represented his current work situation and that he was keeping the money. Um, he had also been paid an extra $3,900 for creating the artwork. Um, so it, it appears that we can be artists, too. We don't have to have really a skill... If we can turn in a blank piece of canvas and someone pay us close to $70,000 for it. You just need a good name for it. It's all you need, right? Yeah. I, it, it reminds me of a local, kind of local, I guess national story about a, a starving artist that got paid millions for his artwork that was really pretty bad. At, I, I don't want to bring him up because his dad's currently our president. But, I, you know, there was some <laughs> some, some overpriced artwork sold there. Yes. Uh, it sounds like yeah. a, a little bit of a scam going on. Mm. But I, can you imagine being paid $70,000 by an art museum to present art for their exhibit, and you walk in with two giant canvases completely blank Nothing i hope he them. i hope he, he had a title i hope he had them covered up and then they hung them on the wall yes, so they could do the, the revealing or whatever yeah. would have been awesome i call this take the money and run well and then when they show it and everybody's like <laughs> i don't see anything uh, you just don't see it with the artist eye. <laughs> he was hoping for an emperor's new clothes that situation that's what i was thinking too yeah, yeah. But I, I just it didn't catch on, <laughs> and the fact that it's now tying up the court system over there, trying to get money back, I, the whole thing They're is just spending absurd. like a million dollars to get back. Would you say sixty thousand? Yeah. Sixty thousand. It's probably like two billion kroner, which is a million dollars. But well, that, the problem was they paid him in advance. Yeah, there's the problem. You don't do that. And every one of your stories today reminds me of Ray Marsh. 
<laughs> Ray loved Lloyd's. You you know what I'm about to talk about, right? You remember when he this guy needed some money and he said I'm a painter, and so Ray gave him a little money to paint this carport out here, right outside, overhang. It wasn't a big job, and he he got the money and he painted one strip across the ceiling, and then hightailed it out Disappeared. of there. Disappeared. And because he had painted, he would have done better if he'd just not painted anything. But because he painted one strip, Ray had to finish painting it, which he did not enjoy doing. <laughs> oh, that must have been before my, I don't remember that. That was before my time. It was early. Early in my time. <laughs> but anyway, I thought, I, I just thought that was a funny story. I, I can't believe somebody would pay somebody for nothing. So was the currency supposed to end up on the... I guess maybe he was doing banknotes so. or something yeah, again I or just, something. Yeah, but nothing. Nothing. Blank canvas. And his first piece they were so impressed with was just money taped onto a canvas. Yes. So I can't blame him for thinking he would get away right. with this. Because I can get away with not, anything, right? Yeah, I guess art is in the that. eye of the beholder. But apparently mm-hmm. they want something other than blank. Yeah, and they're going after him, which, I mean, I think I would too. Yeah, I'm on their side. Yeah. What if he went back and just drew a dollar sign on it or something? Yeah, there you go. You happy? I wonder if he signed. <laughs> the, I do wonder if he signed the bottom of the blank canvas. Oh, that'd be nice. Mm, that'd be a nice touch. How do you know if it's his work or not if it's not signed? <laughs> yeah, that was a question I had too. Sadly, that's a common thing in the art world. Is some absurd piece of art that's not really art. You know, a blank canvas. Like or the a, painter starting his, his great piece, and he sneezes on it, and he's like, oh, that's perfect. That's it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, I wanted to go local here with this next story right. up to uh, Minor High School. Minor High School. Um, this is not too long ago at a Minor High School football game. You know, it's at that, that time of the year, and most of us, the three of us, are usually at a football game on a Friday night. Good times, you know, lots of fun. You see your friends up in the stands. We had homecoming here last mm-hmm. week. So big part of a high school football game, Tim, your son's in the band, son's is the, the band. marching band. That's right. right? And uh, just recently up at Minor High, uh, the police wanted to go home. And I forget who Minor High was playing that night, but there was – the bands were kind of competing mm-hmm. with each other, if I understood the story right. And uh, one would play and the other would play. And this kind of went on way past time for them to go home. And the police got impatient and wanted to turn the lights off and go home. And the minor high band director, he wouldn't stop. And so they tased him in front of all the, the kids and everything. And there's video of this. And I, I know it's not funny, but I and if I've ever been I'll change my tune if I get tased, but it's I don't know, it's pretty funny watching a guy get tased. It probably goes all the way back to the don't tase me bro guy. Don't tase me bro, yeah. Um look that up on YouTube if you've never seen it. Uh just you know the guy's gonna get it. And I guess in the moment you you think it's not going to hurt that bad, but it always takes them down to the ground. There's nobody who can withstand the taser, right? Yeah. What is it? Do these things shock you? Is it electric shock? Is that what it is? 
Well, don't some of the tasers like shoot a barb into yeah, you or and something? Yeah, they got the little lead that runs back to the I taser, guess, and then it delivers. And that's where it continues yeah, to yeah. do it, right? And so as long as they're pulling the trigger, I think it keeps going. And if you so, start, so they can release, and you start getting up, they can hit you with it again, right? Right. right if they got the barb, as long right? as it's in, yeah. So, there's some version that you basically just hit them with a device, right? I yeah, mean, that's, so a stunt, stun that's a gun. stun gun. Yeah, gotcha. stun gun. Yeah. Oh, so the taser is the bar. Yeah, it's the one that you'll mm. see the, the police carry. Usually it's like a yellow. They make it yellow or some off color so that they can differentiate it. Right, um, which there have been tragic <laughs> important, right? it is important. mix-ups yeah. between. So this was post-game. See, I was this thinking yeah. for like, some, it was way after So this the is game the game's over. over, fans are going home, yeah. and the two bands are holding the field having a, They're, a, they were like a drum think off. Of, think about Drumline. Think okay. about the movie yeah. Drumline, right? Yeah. And so I think they're playing back and forth or whatever. And and if I remember correctly, it's it. I wonder if it would have been the same if it was a Friday night game, but it was a Thursday night game. Oh, so there's a lot of attention on that game. And I, I wonder if they were, but also it's like school night. School night. You know, it's not the end of the week or whatever. We need to clear this place out. I, I don't know. I didn't know the police but, were responsible for turning the lights off at the stadium. Well, like at at our home minor stadium, high school, the coaches do. Yeah. I wonder if they do they play I, do they play at Legion. Well, there was probably a grumpy so. guy no. who wanted to go home and turn the lights off, and he asked the police to get involved. Guys, the older I get, the more I'm becoming the grumpy, grumpy guy that just wants to go home at the end of the night. <laughs> so I can kind of side with that I'm, guy. I'm on the police's side. Yeah. Actually, I got to see the minor Purple Tiger band on Tuesday night um, at so Sparks in the Park. So this guy was there, right? I think he was. We were assuming that, that he was... You know, most most of the time, you know, when the band performs, the guy down at the fence mm-hmm. in front is likely to be, you know, either they're up in the press box, you know, up in the yeah. press box, or they're down at the fence. So I think it was was him. Um, but I will say, they put on a show, so there was probably oh, a I lot of I bet. real entertainment going on mm-hmm. back and forth between the bands or whatever. And I think maybe he was just like, I'm not done yet, and. I think the policeman was like, I beg to differ. Well, I pick, I pulled the article up here, and I may have read this story the wrong way because I'm reading here mm-hmm. that the band director said it was agreed upon beforehand that the band would play three songs after the game as a part of a fifth quarter. And uh, the Birmingham, there's some disagreement here because Birmingham City Schools say the band – a fifth quarter band performance is not a usual practice of theirs. So some there was miscommunication yeah. somewhere. And then I think I read chain. somewhere in all this because this was a very prominent story in our area, right? I mean, oh, it's yeah. a big deal, right? Um, that that the band director told the policeman this is like maybe in the course of that last song that you know this was it or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you mentioned in the story that, you know, he just, he wouldn't stop playing. Mm-hmm. Seems to be a lot of differences that are probably going to be ironed out in court, I'm guessing. Because I do think, I think I read that he, that uh, the band director hired an attorney and I think oh, yeah. it's about to be on. Like he's going to he's pretty mad, as you would be if you I just tased. I just did a search of the article. It even picked up, it was picked up by the New York Times. I saw that. That's yeah. crazy. Well, here's why. Because... You know, I'm the reason I brought this up. My question is, mm-hmm. 
does this guy make band look cool? Does this guy, is he going to turn the image of the band nerd to a hardened scrapper? <laughs> you know, somebody you don't mess with. Unless you got a taser, you better better be careful around the band director. So I, I, I we're, we're going to play. Change hey, the image. this band around. plays as long as I say it plays. That's well, right. And as the only one in this room who's never played in the band, I, I can't say a lot here. But mm-hmm. I've heard through the grapevine. I kind of feel like he's making fun of us right no, now. No, not at all. <laughs> but I've always heard, at least through the rumor mill, that there's some interesting rites of initiation rites of passage that band so will a ride of this band become if you're going to be in this band you've got to be tased if you're in my band you got to go through the tase yeah yeah i, I like it, it. That, i think it should be mm-hmm. and I'm, um, I'm predicting that shows up in the news in a couple of years that there's a suspension because of hazing because of, of band members being tased mm-hmm. i'm just i'm pre- i'm predict i'm being a soothsayer here i like it I think we're going to see the day when the football players are afraid of the guys in the marching band. Hey, I will tell you, a couple of seasons ago, I was walking off the field and the band was marching off. And, you know, I thought, well, I can just slide right. through the line. No, mm. you don't You don't mm. break their ranks. I learned yeah. that night. Nope. I I got yelled at. I mean, it was it was scary. I think there's I a, mean, f- famous, for a minute. famous story our, uh, our fellow podcasters Rick and Bubba tell about getting in the line at a – Par- or breaking the line in a parade. Uh, really? Yeah, it's a big deal. I didn't know that. Break the line. This this guy just looked at me. He was like, "Out of the way!" And I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, you were scared. I thought Mad Mardigan was coming through. <laughs> so or you something. tased him, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a pretty crazy story, though. I like it. I you know I'm I'm willing to stand up for a lot of things, but I'm not getting tased. No, for, for not something o- like not that. Over, I'm not confronting no. a police officer. No. He doesn't even have to put his hand on the taser. No, that, 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 I hey, you not, want me to quit? Hey, you want not, me to go home? Not to play Amish Paradise one more time. We're not doing that. No, uh, no, no. <laughs> that's a that's a that, pride of the Green Wave joke, right yeah, there. It so. is. Yes. That's right. <laughs> I think that might have been a different song before I, I th- Brother, Brother Weird Al got a yeah. hold of it. Yeah, but we. Use the version that our brother created. So, of course, it is Amish and keep paradise. it in the family. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're ready to move. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Story. Story number last for today uh, has to do with the Great Wall of China. I don't know if you've heard this mm-hmm. one or not. Uh, came about three or four weeks ago. Um, China's Great Wall uh, has been pierced by Genghis Khan, the Manchus, and now allegedly a couple of construction workers named Zing and Wang who wanted a (laughs) shortcut. Uh, Authorities in China arrested two people for smashing a path through a section of the ancient wall, a cultural icon, and United Nations protected heritage site. The area of the breach was a broken down section far from the restored section segments most Chinese and foreign tourists are familiar with. So... Um, there was this section, so so these these folks wanted a shorter route for construction work that they were doing in nearby towns, and so they broke through the Great Wall of China. Well, in doing so, you know, in Zing and Wang's defense, <laughs> defense. here, it was a broken down section of the wall. Yeah, but and they were just 
pushing but, a few yeah, it's like, little I mean, rubble around. Right. We got some stuff over here. We need to get over there. Mm. And we can either go down to the next gate or whatever, 10 miles down the road. I mean, this is the Great Wall of China. Yeah. Well, what are they supposed to do? I am going to say on just a quick search through the old interweb. Uh-huh. I mean, this thing started construction around 680 BC right. and they finished it around 1681. So this thing took a few years to mm. maybe maybe I just don't know that you take a wrecking ball to something that is BC. I, I mean, re- that's yeah. I really did enjoy the fact that Genghis Khan, the Manchus, and now Zing and Wang <laughs> that is really are well the written. ones who have broken uh, through the Great Wall of China. The trifecta <laughs> of Great Wall. I tell you, that wall would have been broken down a lot earlier and a lot more often if they'd had caterpillars back then and, and bulldozers yeah. and, and backhoes. I mean, can you imagine Zing and Wang talking and basically they're like... Careful. You know, it's... Oh, it's, you know... It's at, sort of messed up already. If yeah. we just knock the top off that right there, we could just have a little hill here. Mm-hmm. I picture, uh, I picture gotta, Wang saying, "I guess we've got to go all the way down to the gate," and, and Zing saying, "You know, I've got my own ideas. Let's let's see if I can come up with something like this." <laughs> no doubt, I, I have no doubt this will work. This is a this is a common problem though with these old buildings and structures. Uh, you remember the story earlier in the summer where a guy wrote. His name on the Roman Coliseum. Yeah. Something like Joni Loves Chachi or mm-hmm, something nice. like that on the wall. I think it was in John Deere Green, actually. Like the old country mm. music song. Randy was here. I, yeah. f- I forget what it was yeah. he wrote, but uh, he had somebody, he posted it online. So he's a really smart guy. Yeah. I, you know, I'd. I don't understand the desire to kind of go in and damage and destroy intentionally historic areas. Like, you know, I think all of us in this room has been to Machu Picchu. I can't imagine going there and, like, trying to knock over stones or paint something on it just out of spite. But if you're working on the other side of the wall, and it's a big detour to go across the wall going down there, and it's already kind of fallen in. Right. And, and, and I, I think, think it's not a bad idea. You know, maybe part of this is, you know, when we talk about the Great Wall of China, what, isn't that one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, I think, maybe? I think Biden said there possibly. are nine, nine one wonders of the, nine of the ancient, ancient world. <laughs> and so the Great it can, Wall be, is one of the it can seven, be seen yes. from outer space. It's a huge yeah. deal for us, like Machu Picchu is, right? But for Zing and Wang, it's, it's just, just another spot right there, right? Is it possible and, they had no idea what it was? Yeah, the Great Wall Could of China is there. It's one of the seven, and, seven know, wonders of the world. So, the you know, it world. said that they were doing construction in nearby towns. And so I guess they just needed to get their stuff to yeah. the nearby town. Uh, the Great Wall is um, one of only two ancient wonders still standing, right? Mm, I believe so, yeah. You got the Hanging Gardens, mm-hmm. which is gone. gone. The here I go. All right, here uh, we go. See. We're going to see if You've you get it. Colossus. That's two. That's two. Uh, of course, you got the pyramids, which are mm-hmm. still standing. Still there. Okay. They're there. What is that? Four? Oh, three. Yeah. What? Well, Great Wall, Colossus. Okay. Hanging yeah. Gardens. Hanging Gardens. That's four. Four, four pyramids. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know there was going to be a test. Oh. Don't give them to us yet. I'm not. Jason, you're looking them up, right? I've got them right You got here. them? Yeah. I, this is not good radio. All right. Because I'll just be 
silently. You got the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Um, I don't know. Oh, I think we're Three struggling more. here. Okay, so all right, Jason, give I, it to us. It depends on which li- the lists all vary, but here are some. So, let's see what site this is from. Hmm. Yeah, so there's not an official seven. Okay, this here is, is the here is the seven front. This is from oh National Temple of Geographic. Diana. Yeah, Temple of Diana. Yeah, Colosseum in Rome. No. Well, Maybe? the Colosseum's no. still standing. So okay, you have the statue of Zeus as one. Right, yeah. The Temple of Artemis, or Diana, or Diana. Uh, this says the Mausoleum of Halicarnassus. Uh, that doesn't seem like really heard of that. Colossus of Rhodes, mm. the Lighthouse of Alexandria. Okay, yeah. So Enjoy maybe the Great Wall is one of the modern. I don't know. I, it there are ancient. It, mo- yeah. Now Machu Picchu is in one of the lists, right? It's in the mo- more modern because it was like what the fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred, something. Yeah, like Machu Picchu is in there with the uh, you know, Lloyd's. It's right. Yeah, Lloyd's. <laughs> It's on the but newer they, list. But they don't serve the sheriff special, and I'll tell you no. that. And, but Machu Picchu is going to outlast Lloyd's. Looks Ma- like it. Machu Picchu. Also, uh, if if you are considering vacationing down toward Machu Picchu, uh, just realize no handrails. Um, so right. all yeah. the steps. None whatsoever. And, and listen, this fat boy needed some armrest because the um, the oxygen is not plenteous. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. <laughs> No mosquitoes. Air's a little thin up there. And, and I will say too, just if you ever, and I, I, I encourage you go see Machu Picchu. Oh man, one awesome. of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. But take a roll of toilet paper with you because they're going to charge you a sole per square. There you go. And that that was pre-inflation, <laughs> so it may be more. Maybe more. You know, I was just thinking the other day, and I don't know if I was walking up some steps and you know starting to black out or something, and I thought about. Over there's that section over there where there's like where people actually go up and down these steps. Oh, What's yeah. it called? Well, there's the there's the isn't it the sun gate on one side, and then there is the Winapichu, the mountain Wina, that you there cry, you go Wina climb Pichu. up. You have to get there like really early in the morning to go there. And they only, several people a year die on. They yeah. die because yeah, there's and, no handrails and and several people freeze. I believe I've heard as well, right? Because again, no handrails and and we're talking about maybe like. Thousands of steps, right? Uh, oh, at I, least hundreds I, of steps. It's all the way up the side of a mountain, right? It's crazy to see. And yeah. and there's like steps and death, right? Those oh, yeah. are your two options, right? So yeah. I was just thinking about that the other day, and I don't know what, what made it come into my mind. I think maybe I was climbing the steps at Homer Smiles Stadium I, um, up to hey, the top. when you get up there near the top at Homer Smiles, you'll get a little bit of a nosebleed started. Yeah, I think yeah. the air gets mm-hmm. thin up there too, mm-hmm. elevation 325 feet. That's one of the seven wonders of Leeds, Alabama. It really is. We need to come up with those. That mm-hmm. That's one. Bucky's is clearly oh, one. Like <laughs> Barbers, yeah. It's one of the modern. Barbers, mo- no, Bucky's. Bucky's is one of the modern uh, wonders mm. of Leeds. Oh, um, we need to, that, that'd be a good podcast. Lehigh. We need to come up with our seven Somebody wonders. write that one down. I, I'd make a note. Let's take an action item, please. I, I've got one mm. right here. All right. All right. Well, while Jason's yeah. writing it down, we're going to take a little break. Hey, can we say this? Uh, we're yeah. going to let our stations identify themselves while we take a break. Pause for station identification. We're back. 
Uh, and we have a quotation, of course. This is the centerpiece of each episode. And the quotation we're going with this time is attributed to Benjamin Franklin. And uh, I think it's going to be our common practice that whoever brought the quotation to the table for the week will be reading the quotation. So that honor goes to Jason today. So I, I found this quote just, you know, searching through and doing research on some quotes when we were talking about this. But I think it's very true in life in general, but it also has the ability to be tied into what we're doing here with the church. So the quote is, Tell me and I forget, teach me and I remember, involve me and I learn. And so, you know, it's... I know in the idea of going through medical training, medical school, you can read about this, especially in years past, there was this idea in teaching, especially surgeons, that you would see one do one and teach one so you would see a procedure being done then under the guidance of uh, another surgeon you would do the procedure and then as part of your training you would turn and teach someone else to do the 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 thing and by those three steps you really learn to do what you were doing and I think that's based off of perhaps this quotation, or maybe this quotation is based off of that. I, I don't know which came first, but mm-hmm. I think it's that same contact that it, con- context, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but mm-hmm. you know, if you and I are sitting here and I tell you something, chances are you walk out of the room and you're going to completely forget it. If I sit down and take the time to teach you something, you'll probably remember some of it. You're not going to remember all of it, but you're going to have a remembrance of it. But if I involve you and and we work together on something and involve our time and effort towards it, now that's when you're going to really learn something, know how to apply it, make it a part of your life. And so I think there's a lot of, of things that are applicable to our daily lives, both as humans, but also as our uh, uh, applicable to our, our walk as Christians, being the light in the world that you see in this. Yeah. So what do you think the real difference maybe is in this between the tell and the teach? Because those two seem to have a real relationship and involve sort of obvious that it's different. But I think there's, I think certainly in his creation of this quote, he meant two different things between tell and teach. I think... Maybe the casual nature of telling versus the formality of teaching. Maybe there's or more the structure right, of teaching. Right. There's got to be more of a plan behind something that I'm trying to teach. Mm-hmm. I would think intent goes into it a lot too, because right. if I'm just telling you something, I'm not really intending on you necessarily to have a remembrance of it. I'm just mm-hmm. giving you information. But if I'm teaching you something, I'm presenting it in a way that. Hopefully, you'll have remembrance of it and be able to use it. Yeah. Well, you can't teach an unwilling audience, right? Um, uh, you tell somebody something, whether they want to hear it or not, but teaching assumes that the people are there to learn. So you at least have that relationship going in teaching where you have a student who wants to be there or needs to be there in order to complete some kind of training. Yeah. Can I tell you uh, this week's old man story? Um, oh, yeah. So, I love these. Um, we might need, Who's the old man? We might need bumper music for, the, for this week's old man story brought to you by um, in the future. So, um, you know, we all have 
school age kids that you know we're dealing with getting homework done and taking mm-hmm. tests and all those things um and so you know at our house i have math millie has everything else right mm-hmm. she's so, she's the humanities professor mm-hmm. i'm the math professor right and mm-hmm. so um the math world to me in today's world, and, and I say this as an old man and a guy who studied math, right? That was part of my college, you know, was a math major. Um, just today's methods and technology just eat me up because I've done uh, you know, or, or been part of helping with so much like Delta math. And if if you're listening to this and you don't have any idea what that is, it just means it's just an online tool, right? But it's just questions and answers and things. And um, this is not about necessarily the teachers because I don't know exactly what goes on in class, but it's just the the tools. And so this the, the old man's story to this of involve me and I learned was when I was in high school, one of the things that we did was we had homework. We went home and either did it or didn't do it. And the next day, it was like, all right. So Miss Rosa T. Brown, who lived in room 209 of <laughs> Munford High School, would say, all right, young people, hang it out to the board. And so you'd go find your spot on the blackboard, and she'd say, one, three, five, seven, nine, eleven. Put your answer, uh, you know, work your problem out on the board. And then she'd come back around and say, explain it, right? Wow. So you would, you know, so you didn't know what you were going get, to get on the board and and you had to explain. So if you copied Joe's paper and didn't know how in the world you worked that problem. And I think about that and there was involvement in that, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, you had to know what you were doing and you had to know how to tell someone what you were doing and... You know, I fear that in in today's world of technology, some real simple old methods have gotten lost mm-hmm. that make a whole lot of difference when it's all said and done. And like I said, I don't know what they're, you know, I don't necessarily know what they're doing in class because if I ever ask my son, you know what I get? Uh, I no, don't remember. They, yeah. Oh, I yeah, get a no. lot of I don't remember. Yeah. It's like, dude, this guy's got amnesia, I think. But um, selective amnesia. <laughs> but I mean, it just—it's like you got. If you're really going to well, learn something, you you could know, could a teacher get away with bringing making a student do a problem on the board in front of the whole class anymore? I don't know. Is that kind of taboo now? Because maybe it is. Maybe that might embarrass the well, student. Well, and it. In most of the classrooms, they're smart boards now. Do they even use a dry erase marker on oh, them very well, yeah, much? Yeah, I don't exactly. know. I mean, I don't even know if it's even possible, but it's like, you know, you've got at some point to, you know, and unfortunately, part of what she was doing was preparing us to be tested, mm-hmm. right? So it was a test before the test, and now it's... It's a test that, as a high schooler, will make you a little uncomfortable, right? Mm. Get out there in front of your friends, and uh, you know, and throw up all over yourself, right? So, um, you know, motivate so, you to get that. So there was some done. motivation, right? And so mm-hmm. I just, I, I always, I liked that. As I got away from it, 
uh, I appreciated that process of, all right, we're going to hang it out to the board and we're going to show whether we know right. what we're doing or not. Yeah. This is how Jesus taught his disciples. Mm-hmm. You have you have a number of formal discourses. Mm-hmm. Matthew structures his gospel account around five, uh, but you can look at the parables of Christ, uh, sermons of Christ, teachings of Christ, through all four gospel accounts. But also, Mark three fourteen comes to mind that Jesus chose twelve disciples that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Mm-hmm. And we always think about that last part, that he sent them out to preach, but that's not the only reason he called them. The 12 apostles were there also to be with him. And I've heard people make an application that I don't think's wrong, that he needed friendship, he needed companions. But that's not all that's going on there. It was part of his training process. In those days, that's how... Really, all the rabbis would teach their closest disciples is they would live life with those disciples and show them a new way of life. There's a saying, and I forgot where I got this, but um, there's a saying that goes back to the days of the rabbis. It, it's, it's like a blessing that you would give to a disciple, and it would be, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Mm-hmm. And the idea is... May you follow your rabbi so closely in life that he's <laughs> kicking dust up on you right. as, as he goes. You're living life with him. And it just goes to the point of this quotation that to really learn something, you got to do more than tell somebody something or even teach somebody something. They need to be they trained to on the it, job. Right. Yeah. On the job training. Well, and then Christ didn't just teach them, but he, he involved them by sending them out. You know, he gives the 12 the limited commission, and then he gives everybody the great commission to go out and, and to present Christ to the world, making disciples. And that's that final step, because in, in being told something, you can forget that. and being taught something, you can hold on to that some. But when you're involved in something like that, so when he told his disciples and apostles to go out and teach, that involved a lot more than just hearing what he was saying and holding on to it. That involved them being a mouthpiece for him, you know, spreading his word. And, and we know the apostles had some miraculous gift of being able to to say this because there wasn't the written text like we have at that time. But, you know, as we try to get involved in church here, it's our duty to take God's word, learn it, so that we can be involved with it, because we can't be involved yeah. in teaching others if we don't know the Word. You know, we've all been involved in having special responsibilities around here, right? I mean, and, um, you know, part of that, and I don't know, I don't think I've, I've been what I want to be in this area, but the idea of involving others uh, one of the things I think about is trying to mentor others. Drew and I were having this conversation a few days ago, and I don't remember the exact context of it. I think it was right before Deep started. We were having this conversation about about the need to, you know, about the need to mentor others. And um, you know, we talked about a, a lot of years ago, a number of years ago, there were a lot of things that like 
you know, Drew would just have on his plate. When we were young adults, just because there were so few young adults at Asheville Road right at that time, mm-hmm. if we wanted to do something young adult related, you know, Jason was probably going to do it or I was or maybe Stacy was going to do some stuff or whatever. There was very few people in that group, and that group started growing. And the thing we were talking about is – I guess to some degree it's worked because we were talking about how many people were a part of what was about to happen at Deep, right? And and so that's successful. But the part that, you know, I was saying, I don't know that I've been what I want to, to be at that is, you know, when you have a responsibility, mentoring somebody else, bringing others along for the journey is is really important and that involvement of others and trying to help others be successful at something and even better than you are at something mm-hmm. is it's what we need in the church it's what we need to grow mm-hmm. and you know in, in even in our jobs you know it's it's what we need it it takes something to have that mentality right because there's you know, there's we all have this sort of innate desire to be the best, right, or, or to excel at something. But to have this idea that I want somebody else to be better at this than I am mm-hmm. is— It requires a lot of humility. It does, and but it makes us all better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you're talking about the church, you know, that's where, you know, we all go through these stages where we do a lot of different things on our journey— and but if we can bring others along, you know, and and help them, and then what I've always seen is I've left things at Asheville Road is somebody else comes in, they may do some of the things that I did, and they add their own ideas, and it's like I never would have thought about that. Yeah, you know, I've seen and that so and and I think in yeah. some degree that that is success, mm-hmm. and maybe you're involving others because they see you work, and then they, but. I don't know. I I think I want to be a little more intentional in that area. Yeah, we're we're bad at this. And you know, I thought about the opposite of this quotation is, well, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And that kind of attitude is very common. I know where it's coming from. I thought it'd be interesting to talk about just for a second here cuz we're getting short on time. Uh why we're so bad? at this uh, involve me and I learn thing. We're, we're not good, and I think this is across the board. I'm not just talking mm-hmm. about here at our church. All churches, all businesses, schools, we're really not good at the involvement part. But we know what it'll do for an organization and for the people. Because you involve them, they get ownership, they care more about the organization. And then, of course, once you're gone, there's somebody who knows how to do stuff. But it, I, I'll put in my two cents. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's the pride element that you've already touched on, Tim. And in addition to that, it's it's just harder to bring somebody in and involve them because then in addition to doing the job, when you're involving somebody, you've, you've, you're still doing the job at first and teaching somebody it's more work and yeah. fixing their mistakes in the beginning. Now, as they learn, they can take the load off of you. But we, we're so short-term in our thinking. And uh, I think most biblical concepts are long-term. Mm-hmm. They think long-term. It's about the consequences 
in the future. It's about what today's behavior will bring years from now. I think a big part of it, too, and I think it goes along with the pride side of it, is our inability or our desire that we have to hold on to control or to give up control. We don't. We like to be in control. We like to do things based on our own will. And when you involve somebody else, now you're placing the greater purpose's will above your own. Because by involving others, you're reaching, say in church work, by involving others to go out and spread the gospel or to teach classes or to do things that we could do. But by involving others, we're now working towards God's will. And when we're doing it ourselves, we kind of want that that pride of looking back and saying, man, look what I have got done. I am a good Christian person. I've got A, B, and C done. And when we involve others, we're elevating them above ourselves because then we have the opportunity to say, look what they've done. And that's hard for us because our, our nature is to want to be in control, to want to have our hands wrapped around everything, and to not involve other people. Right. Could we learn something on this? And this is, I, I know all three of us feel the same way. But is there something to learn here when we're teaching Bible classes? I probably shouldn't have brought this up. But all three of us prefer to just lecture in our classes, right? I try not to even take a pause because I'm afraid <laughs> someone's going to raise their hand. Well, you know, all kinds of hijinks can happen when you <laughs> open up the floor for discussion. And sometimes you feel like people come unprepared and they just say something because they're expected to say something. That doesn't add anything to the conversation. But I think instead of saying any questions or comments, if we had like built-in good questions to involve and that's hard mm-hmm. that's really hard it's to more do work sometimes. right i mean it's more preparation yeah yeah but you have to have the right question for the discussion to do what we're talking about here today yeah it's well, got to be a learning discussion not just discussion for the sake of breaking up the well and the, the environment of and the, the environment class. of that class makes a big difference because uh, if you're in a, if you're in an yeah. auditorium that'll sit 300 people and there's 30 people in there it's hard to have conversations because you just can't hear. Yeah, well, yeah and, and that's right. You spoke to one of my sacred cows, right? The whole time I had education, one of my dreams was was to destroy the, the auditorium class, right? Right. Not to destroy it in the sense of we're not having a class, but to have it somewhere else. And, right, because it's not built for a class. Right. And so I think, I think you're on to something that sometimes our Bible classes really aren't necessarily Bible classes, sometimes they're more of a lecture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and so if we think about a real, if, if we really want to create a learning environment, you do have to involve the people, but sometimes it's it's got to be more than just there at the building, right? They showed up and the light bulb goes off and they have a great comment. And, um, you know, this is this is something that you know, as adults, we don't do that much of. But, but more, more preparation, creating an environment where people are expected to prepare. You know, I think back to 
one of my favorite things you know, it's when we did the, you know, we would do the church-wide study, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, from top to bottom. And there was, we we purposely set in those classes, we said, you're going to be the facilitator for this class. You're not going to be the teacher for this class. You're going to be the facilitator. And we, we broke up into different groups. And I think we had to keep one in the auditorium just for old time's sake. But, you know, they were, they were basically small, small groups. Um, that we broke out and we studied the same thing and we had one person who basically got everything going but everybody was expected to have studied ahead and and maybe bring some thoughts to the table and that's that's a learning environment and I think that's you know some of our Bible classes we you know are, are it's a challenge to that because the maybe a really large percentage of our Bible classes the only guy that comes prepared or girl is the one at the front of the room, mm-hmm. right? And well, and I think that's, that's where the open home meetings have made a really big change. I think the open it home does. meetings are so much more about the involvement side of it than the just teaching side and telling yeah. side. They're structured for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're out of time, but I, I, I there's so many other elements. Of we this went all we over the place, discuss. didn't we? We can yeah. we can go on a little longer yeah. if we need to. Uh, you know, like. We need to be taking people when we make visits. Yeah. Uh, this is one yeah. thing that, you know, it's just easier for me to hop in my car and go. But it would be better if I called somebody and showed them, you know, how to do a hospital visit, how to make a home visit, how to visit a shut-in, what kinds right. of things do you say to someone who's grieving, what kinds of things do you say at a deathbed. Um, and... All, all forms of Christian service, uh, Christian leadership need to be shown, not just told. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, we don't really do a whole lot of either. We put men in leadership positions without teaching them or involving them. And um, that needs to change. You know, um, one thing I was thinking about this morning, and uh, thinking about the fact that we were going to get together and record this on on this um, this quotation is um, we need to do this as much as we can well I think we all try to do it for our kids right you know in terms of you know involve involving them in things that we do um, but I was I thought about sort of a unique position I bring to the table here is my dad died when I was 13 years old and you know that was a point in my life where there's a lot of stuff to learn when you're 13 years old right you mm-hmm. you know y'all both have boys i do too mm-hmm. right in that age area and there are a lot of things that that i've sort of had to shuffle my way through the rest of life you know that that a dad teaches a son at that point and you know one of the things i think number 1 it's really important for us to, and, and, you know, those are simple things like, you know, wiring something at the house or, you know, how to work on the truck or, you know, just life, you know. Um, but one of the things that stuck with me is 
if you can find an opportunity to mentor somebody that's in a, in a situation like that, and I'm not just saying my specific situation, but somebody that needs a mentor and it's mm-hmm. something that you're gifted in, bring them along for the ride. Yeah. You know, and, you know, let them see what you're doing. Let them touch it. Let them have an idea that, you know, they're not going to, you know, break things when they uh, when they give things a try or whatever. But I spent a whole lot of my life, you know, not trying a whole bunch of things. And I'm trying to get better at that. But it's just because that that creates a problem for you, an obstacle for you that you've got to overcome. And so yeah. for us just as men, you know, you if you see somebody in a situation like that, mentoring is an amazing gift mm. to people who who you see need it. Yeah, and I've seen people try to program this into youth ministry in particular yeah. and it it's not a it's program. not a programmable It's not service no, it's, gotta be it's, organic gotta say, it's, it's just done. something that yeah. good giving people need do to be for observant and, and know the need yeah. and, and when God puts that opportunity in front of you you take it yeah so thanks for joining us there are a lot of passages to talk about in the future we'll see you next time